Welcome back to the Relationship Road Trip, navigating the twists and turns of all the important relationships in your life. I'm Ben Azevedo, your beach buddy, your lazy lackey, and your backseat driver. I'm Dr. Don Fernando Azevedo, clinical psychologist. No, wait, executive coach. Yeah, that's it. Or is it voiceover artist? Anyway, I'm your navigator. Anyone know where we're going? And I'm Kim Azevedo, licensed marriage and family therapist, perpetually conflicted individual, your mechanic. And you, our dear listener, are driving us straight into personal conflict. Today's quote is by R.J. Intendola, author of Gandolfo. One should be mindful. The conflicts inside you are greater and more destructive than those involving others and the environment. The internal conflict centers on decisions and choices where confliction takes root. Should we push the button lit by the conscious or the one others have chosen for us? If the heart is in the picture run in that direction. We are nearly done with our arc on conflict. And just to recap, we've done an overview of conflict, discussed workplace conflicts, we've covered romantic disputes, and we even chatted about parent-child fights. So now there's nobody left to fight except ourselves. So we're here today to talk about self-conflict. What is self-conflict? Well, have you ever been of two minds about anything? No. Yep, I know. 150 times a day, right? At least that is for me. I am extremely self-aligned. I know exactly what everything is. Mm -hmm. Oh, there you go. You know exactly what everything is. Well, that's evidence of a cognitive distortion. We'll be talking about cognitive distortions for the rest of this session. And literature is filled with metaphors for this internal battle, this battle between what we believe is true and what we're experiencing and what we want to choose. That internal conflict is probably the most important battle anyone does. It's the most important conflict. Becoming aware of this conflict and staying mindful of its tendrils is the path to healthier relationships, a sense of peace, and the ability to trust your own senses and experience. You got to watch out for those tendrils, man. If there's one thing I know about a tendril, keep your eyes on it. Yes, that's right. It'll trip you up every time. So in psychology, conflict with self is defined as the tension between cognitive distortions and accurate perception of reality. What's a cognitive distortion? So a cognitive distortion is a habitual error of thinking. So this is a belief that gets in our way of actually perceiving what's happening around us. So like your belief that puns are funny. No, that's actually true. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. And that dad jokes are the best. Uh Uh-huh. Those are truths. It's your cognitive distortion that that you don't think they're funny. I see. Interesting. An interesting use of cognitive distortion here. Right. It seems that the psychology terms are only on your side. Which is one of the cognitive distortions. Actually, it's one of the defense mechanisms. That's projection. So it's cognitive distortions are, are that habitual error of thinking. And so if they are not funny for you, my acceptance of that and trying not to do them with you or around you would be important to our relationship, right? Mm. Your perception doesn't have to equal my perception because the more important part of this is what is reality? 
and what is an accurate perception? Nothing is reality. We are all a dream in the mind of a sleeping duck on a pond that is the universe. There you have it. From the person who's completely aligned. Oh, yeah, right. Kim has all the answers. 42. So when you're experiencing a cognitive distortion, one of the ways that you can notice it is that they tend to be negatively biased. If you have a thought and it is negatively biased, that's one of the times to stop and think, am I really perceiving reality or am I engaging in one of the the cognitive distortion types? So think about things people say, like, I have the worst luck. That's a distortion. I just failed the math test. I'm no good at school. I might as well just quit now. It's another cognitive distortion. Or it's late. It's raining. I'm sure she's hydroplaned and her car is upside down in some ditch. I know you know somebody who has actually said that around you. Like worst case scenario thinking. That's one of the common patterns of cognitive distortion. Catastrophizing is what Aaron Beck and the rest called it. Psychologist Aaron Beck was one of the first people to describe cognitive distortions. Dr. Beck is the founder of cognitive behavioral therapy. Since then, researchers have postulated that cognitive distortions are a response to adverse life events, that when we have these events, we tend to think of the world as always happening in the way that we experienced it, usually when we were very young and very vulnerable. Think about worst-case scenario thinking, like you mentioned, Bed. It helped with survival in the short term, right, to be prepared. It was kind of the Boy Scout thing. But if you live it long-term, It leads to distorted perceptions of reality, depression, and mostly anxiety, fear that bad things are going to happen all the time. Kim, what were you going to say earlier? Mine was lagged out a little bit, so I think I cut you off. It's okay. I was going to argue on the, I just failed a math test. I'm no good at school. I might as well just quit now. Because it is possible that all of the, well, one of those is definitely a factual statement. I just failed the math test. And the other two might be true. And, you know, if school is not your strong suit and you are perpetually experiencing this, okay, well, what are other things that you can do where you're not putting yourself in a situation where you're perpetually being exposed to this negative experience? He's writing it as if you've just taken the test. You don't know the score yet. You're assuming that you failed it. But I get your Ah, point too, Kim. And that makes a lot of sense. Or even if you failed the math test. Did you really pass history and English and you're better at those subjects? That doesn't make you bad at school as a whole. This is is just one point. This is one of the common patterns I see of cognitive distortion. It says says there are 10 of them. What are the 10 common patterns? So the first one is polarized thinking. This is black and white thinking, one of the most common cognitive distortions. People think it's all this or it's all that when most of the world is a synthesis of those two poles. So many My personal shades of gray. favorite explanation of that is when someone goes, fine, I'll just never talk again. Yes. Yep. That, that's a great demonstration of that polarized thinking and the negative part of self. The other is overgeneralization that will take one little bit of data and assume that it's true for an entire group of people or things or ways of being in the world. Or if you actually um, did fail that math test, And then you say, I'm no good at all of school because I failed one math test. Yes. Very good. You're listening. Catastrophizing is the one we talked about before, right? The idea that the the worst thing is going to happen. 
and you're out there at the beach, so it could be, you know, I'm going to get bitten by a shark, which is what keeps many people out of the water. It is shark week. Shark week. <laughs> shark week. I want right. to pet one. Personalization is another one where whatever is going on is really about you when most of the world happens not actually thinking about you. It's not that's, about you. That's like the, I have the worst luck. Yeah, that's like I have the worst luck or that you're not happy with something. So it must be me that's made you unhappy. Or this person cut me off in traffic and has a personal vendetta against me because I'm running late for work. Yep. Any of those are personalizations. The next one is mind reading, that I know what you're thinking. (laughs) And we don't know what anybody's thinking. Uh, Not even psychologists. For the record, we do not know what you're thinking. Please talk to us like we're five. That's what they want you to think. That's what they want. They tell you that all day just to get you to tell them stuff. I know the game. I've been in it a long time. (laughs) Yep. There you go. Mind reading. Or maybe this isn't. So the next one is mental filtering. This is where you accept data that supports a particular point of view. And usually with cognitive distortions, it's a negative point of view. We may be um, successful in nine parts of a task, but what we'll focus on is the tenth part that we didn't do really well. And that's this mental is like your, your own worst critic type thinking. Yes. Well, and also mm-hmm. confirmation bias. If I believe that I'm bad at something, I will only focus on the things that confirm that versus looking at the things that prove that I'm good at something. Like when I got an A minus on a test and was so focused on the two questions I got wrong rather than however many I got right. That's this mental filtering thing. There's also the discounting of the positive, which is very close to mental filtering. And this is anything that I do really well isn't worth anything because I can do it. That's the false thought that's behind it. If I can do it, it's not worth anything. And since there are so many other things I can't do, those are the things that are actually valuable. You ever met anyone who has done that? Like every artist ever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I don't don't feel like that's one that I feel a lot, but maybe I do. I don't feel like I feel it at the extreme level that you're describing. And recognize I'm describing extreme levels because they're easier as definitions. Yeah, as examples, absolutely. But actually, that's an interesting one. I feel like that one's a little less common than some of these earlier ones. Okay. We've talked about before, one of the ways to create resilience is to celebrate your accomplishments. Someone who engages in discounting the positive cognitive distortions can't do that. Mm -hmm. Because anything they accomplish is too easy, and anyone could do it. But... There's hope because I too had big trouble with this when I was younger and I've gotten a lot better. It just takes some skill building and recognizing it as we're about to talk about when it comes up and challenging it. Another one is should statements. These are all the shoulds you have in your head about I should do this or I should do that or I should be this way or the world should be that way. We're going to quote Dr. John Winnick here, who is one of my professors in grad school. Don't shit on yourself. So that's very close to a quote my grandmother would tell me. Oh, I like your grandmother way more than I like Dr. Winnick. (laughs) She would say, Danny, don't shit on yourself. It smells bad. She was a sweetheart. She actually taught me most of everything in the world. The last one is emotional reasoning. Oh, sorry. That's the ninth one. 
I had a cognitive distortion there, didn't I? <laughs> I left one out. Emotional reasoning is the idea that my emotions actually are the only facts. Emotions are part of the fact picture, right? Our emotional response to things is part of the information that we need to make decisions. But when we believe our emotions are the only facts, because I feel this way, this is the truth. That's what gets the cognitive distortion. I feel bad about this thing, so it is bad. Yes, that's it. We often say, listen to your gut. Like a lot of, even on this show, we talk a lot about following your emotions because they can guide you, or at least being aware of them is really important. But this is going a little too far with that. They're not the only source of information, like you said. And that's really the key. They are part of the fact picture and they need to be incorporated into decisions, but they can't dominate and you know eliminate all the other information that's available. So the last one is labeling. This is the human desire to reduce people or situations to very simple concepts or words, often one word. Bad. Yeah. All things are bad. <laughs> right. Or anything. All soldiers are violent. That is a belief among some people. Uh, and that's a labeling thing. It diminishes an individual by labeling a group. But it's a human thing. So all of these are very human. This is not a disease or a, or a disorder. This is how people grow up and how we respond to adverse situations, usually that happen when we're very vulnerable. And that's often in our childhood. And it all sounds really bad, but it's how our brains have evolved to work. It's a survival mechanism that can get out of hand, but also does serve a purpose. Can we change it? Is it, I don't know, fixable? No, we're all doomed. There's no help. We can't do anything. That seems like it's probably one of these 10 patterns, like catastrophizing or something. When you're looking at this and looking at making changes, really the first step is becoming aware of the distorted thoughts that you're having and what's plaguing you most frequently. You can have more than one type of cognitive distortion that pops up for you. Oh, uh, no. Yeah. It, one at it's a time, hard. please. So like the phrase, we're all doomed, you know, that there's a lot of different cognitive, corrugative things. <laughs> there are a lot of corgis in that one. <laughs> Corgative dissonance. <laughs> Distant corgis. <laughs> I tried. Mm -hmm. Oh, goodness. There are a lot of different cognitive distortions within that one phrase. Anyway, it's becoming aware of these things, paying attention to the chatter that happens in your head. A lot of us have that internal monologue where we talk to ourselves in our head, sometimes out loud. And you might notice a pattern of thoughts that tend to be more frequent. You can write them down or you can voice record. A lot of people have found that to be helpful. Really just keeping track of them, gathering the data so you're able to be aware of what is it that your mind is saying to you. Feels uncomfortable. It can be. Um, but it's really important to get it outside of your head. Mm. Because you need to be able to reflect on it, to consider it. Inside your head, you can't really consider it. You just get overwhelmed by it. One of the most frustrating things about mental health is it's an invisible battle. And fighting an invisible battle is really hard, especially when everyone in the battle is yourself. That externalization process, making it a physical thing that you can interact with, makes it easier to challenge them and change them. And... 
you know, there are a couple of different ways to challenge and change these negative thoughts. Reframing is a big word. You'll hear it from pretty much any therapist you go to. Good therapist. (laughs) Isn't that labeling? I think that's a cognitive distortion there. Yes, it is. Regardless, reframing is an option. Once you've written them down, it actually becomes easier to look at it and challenge the thought. So a frequent cognitive distortion I have is that I'm a horrible therapist and I have absolutely no clue what I'm doing. It's very well rehearsed in my head. But you know about reframing, so you're off to a good start. (laughs) Exactly. So if I write it down and I look at it and I go, where is this information coming from? Where did I get the idea that I am a bad therapist? And it's possible that someone said an off, offhand comment at one point and my brain latched onto it because my brain's really good at doing that. One of the things my brain does best is overgeneralization and polarized thinking. I'm either good at this or I completely suck at everything. That's a great explanation of cognitive distortions and the effect they have on your self-esteem and on your behavior with others. Yeah. And... I for sure definitely struggled really hard with the self-esteem impact when I was in high school and early college of I'm horrible at everything because that was my favorite cognitive distortion. Now I'm just horrible at a few things, but I do have data points to prove that I am quite bad at some of those things. And we're not going to be good at everything. And even with therapy, you can be really good at therapy and you can get something wrong. And Um, and that's okay because it's part of the therapy. Right. Like trying to say... Cognitive distortions. <laughs> that right there is pro-professional therapy. Reframing is looking at these thoughts, finding alternate explanations, discovering that objective evidence, that data, or recreating positive interpretations of those negative thoughts. Another tool is cost-benefit analysis. My other least favorite phrase from childhood which is, well, how is that working for you? Very often it wasn't, and I didn't know how to reframe them yet, but we worked on it. Another really great tool, therapy, surprise, but specifically cognitive behavioral therapy. We've talked about that previously in a couple of episodes from season one, but big surprise, both Dr. Azevedo and I are trained in cognitive behavioral therapy, and we would be more than happy to help you with your cognitive distortion. I would be happy to help, but I'm not trained. No, but you're a positive influence often with other folks. Oh, yeah. You're welcome to talk to me. I'm just letting you know I'm not trained. Yes. Well, you know, it's interesting. And as Kim has pointed out before, even though we are in this profession, psychologists and even experienced psychologists, you know, like myself, we are not immune to any of these things. And we get caught up in them from time to time. So it's not about avoiding all of these or getting to a spot where you have zero cognitive distortions. It's about seeing when they happen and recovering from them as they occur. That's really the trick. And for the record, it is okay to sometimes fall apart in the process of this. Tacos fall apart and we still love them. It takes a lot. Wow, what a weird, I like that one. fun. I do love a taco. They fall apart. We've spent a fair bit of time looking internally this episode. Do these kind of cognitive distortions impact your external relationships as well? We've talked about already how this can negatively impact your own emotions, your confidence, specifically self-esteem. But how do they interact with your external relationships? So if I can offer an additional quote of the day, is that okay? Can we have a second quote? 
No. I don't know. All right, fine. We'll allow it. So this one is from Terry Goodkind. This is his wizard's first rule. There are many rules, but this is wizard's first rule. Quote, people are stupid. Given proper motivation, almost anyone will believe almost anything. Because people are stupid, they will believe a lie because they want to believe it's true or because they're afraid it might be true. People's heads are full of knowledge, facts, and beliefs, and most of it is false. Yet they think it is all true. People are stupid. They can only rarely tell the difference between a lie and the truth. And yet they are confident they can. And so are all the easier to fool. The reason I love this quote is because it plays into the cognitive distortions that allow things like fake news to take hold and take root in people. People want to believe these things that have no basis because they're afraid it's true or they want it to be true. It's difficult, and you can see how it's tearing apart our country at the moment, but actually lots of places in the world where there is a major fight between right-wing nationalism and left-wing, well, people always say it's communism, but I don't know that's the truth. So this is kind of how cognitive distortions affect the relationships with others. We're so certain of our interpretations of any set of facts that we find it difficult to create a space to consider another person's point of view or even to accept that influence. And you've heard us talk about that before. You have to empty your cup so that you can fill it with the point of view of someone else, not necessarily adopting that point of view, but at least considering it. It depends a lot on how deep that belief or subject is as well. Some cups are easier to empty than others. Some liquids pour more easily than others. If you are in a conversation or a conflict even about a more surface level belief or piece of knowledge, it's much easier to listen to someone who disagrees with you and perhaps come to an agreement or change your mind or that kind of thing. But if you are discussing something that is a core belief that you grew up with or that you have believed for a long time, or it doesn't really matter the reason, but is something that you feel is core to your being, it's extremely unlikely you're going to be able to empty that cup enough to hear the other person. You're absolutely right. It takes a lot of effort. Part of what you have to pay attention to is what if you've cherry-picked the facts to support your point of view and you've dismissed other facts that are there that would refute your point of view or at least open you to the possibility that another point of view could be correct. And that doesn't mean that you deliberately cherry-picked the facts necessarily. That can be an unconscious process. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And acknowledging that is important because it doesn't mean you're a bad person if you have a belief that is in some way flawed or not quite accurate to the world or is missing information because it may just have been your experience that led you there. And there's nothing wrong with that. And it's really powerful to say, I understand I was speaking from a misinformed point of view and I've collected more information and I have changed this view or I've worked on this and developed a new point of view through more information. You can always change your opinions and develop a better understanding of the world around you as well as your understanding of yourself. And also, society struggles to accept that someone can change their point of view. 
And history is littered with people who had one very strong point of view and then changed that point of view, but no one accepted that they changed it. Yeah, that's like its own cognitive distortion at a societal level, almost. Especially if you're talking about famous people or significant cultural people changing their opinion or their point of view, or even apologizing for something. That's like a whole other layer of cognitive distortion. Yep. So I guess the answer to the question is cognitive distortion in some way is sort of the cause of all conflict with other people as well. Um, yes. Let's just make it simple like that. And then that would be an overgeneralization. I was about to say, "Mm, this is an overgeneralization. Okay. But it seems like, I mean, the question was, how does it affect your relationships? And it essentially leads to conflict. If you're having a lot of this cognitive distortion, these are the miscommunications that then you're miscommunicating with yourself. And so you miscommunicate with, another person and that leads to conflict all of the stuff that we talked about in the previous episodes sure well and also recognize that even if the majority of your cognitive distortions are focused on yourself and your personal abilities you're who shows up to your relationship and so if you're showing up really depressed and upset because you're unsuccessful or you can't do this or everyone hates you and you have no friends, all of these things, that's going to affect the relationships that you're a part of. No one, well, very few people want to spend extended periods of time with people who have that mindset. Yeah, pretty much only therapists and they're paid for it. (laughs) Or people who take advantage of those people, but... Yeah. Yes. I mean, yeah. I mean, there, there are all kinds of people in the world. So if you want to apply this for the for our listeners out there, think about any conflict you've listeners. had with a coworker or a friend or lover or sibling or parent or child or anyone, you know, your dog. Think through the the conflict that you had. Go back to the 10 common patterns of cognitive distortions and identify the ones you experienced in your own thinking. This is important. You experienced in your own thinking. Let go of the desire to figure out the cognitive distortions of the other person. That in and of itself is a cognitive distortion and a defense mechanism. Whoa. You can't know the thinking of another person, right? That's mind reading. Yes. What you can know is whatever their behavior is. That part you can take a look at. But even that is a distraction from looking at your own thinking and your own distortions while that conflict was happening. I suppose it could be argued that it was polarized thinking and overgeneralization to tell Spooky he was a horrible cat because he knocked his food on the ground. And was also labeling. How is that labeling? He's a horrible cat for this one behavior, not taking into account the totality of Spooky. Okay. You take in the totality, you still get horrible cat. I'm just kidding. I love Spooky. I think he's he's a great cat. Yes. He's Okay. So cognitive distortions interfere with understanding other people, being gentle, being kind with them and with yourself, and being curious. If you're in the cognitive distortion, you're so upset by whatever you believe is happening that you can't open yourself to what's going on for the other person. The most important conflict to resolve out of all the ones that we've talked about is the conflict you have with yourself. When you align your thoughts emotions and behavior with your values, you'll create a life of harmony. People are going to notice the peace that comes with that because you don't need to fight with other people. 
you don't need to be in conflict because you're in harmony with your own values and they are expressed in your thoughts and your emotions and your behavior. That's the target. Hopefully this was a helpful look into some sources of self-conflict as well as some ways to mitigate those thoughts. We talked about reframing, cost-benefit analysis, and cognitive behavioral therapy. Also, don't forget to consider how your own personal conflicts and biases interact with the relationships around you, which is what Don was just talking about. This brings us to the end of our arc on conflict. As we are recording and releasing these, we're in various states of vacation, so I'm not totally sure what we're going to be talking about next. If you have any ideas, please email us at questions at afpsych.com, or you can reach out on the Facebook group. And thank you, as always, for listening. Until next time, enjoy the drive. Can we get a t-shirt that says corrugative distortion? <laughs> and then there's a picture of a kind of blurry corgi, and nobody understands it except the three of us. <laughs> thank you for listening to the Relationship Road Trip. We hope you enjoyed the episode, and we want to know what you think. So write to us at questions at afpsych.com. You can also support the show by rating and reviewing us on iTunes or subscribing with your favorite podcast app. You can find more episodes of the show at relationshiproadtrip.com or wherever you download podcasts. The Relationship Road Trip comes out every Wednesday at 7 a.m., so don't forget to tune in next week. The Relationship Road Trip is brought to you by Azevedo Family Psychology, where they are dedicated to helping you create a life worth celebrating. You can learn more about their services at azavidofamilypsychology.com. This podcast is produced by Bear Cave Audio. Bear Cave Audio provides a range of audio services, from original composition to podcast recording and editing. To learn more, go to bearcaveaudio.com or email ben at bearcaveaudio.com. Until we meet again, may the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. And may the sun shine warm upon your face. Mm-hmm.